Welcome to the Intellis IQ podcast, IntelliCast. On this episode, highlighting critical ENM code updates, our Chief Nursing Officer, Allison Van Doren, interviews Jeannie Heck, our Director of Education, regarding her insights on how providers and coders are managing and applying the new 2021 ENM guideline changes. Following the initial release of this episode of IntelliCast, AAPC and the AMA announced an important update. This is Jeannie Heck, and I wanted to provide you with an update since the podcast was recorded. The national officers from the AAPC and AMA have now said that point-of-care testing, I'm talking about results-only testing, can be counted as ordered or reviewed, but not both. So an example would be when a provider orders a rapid strep screen or a UA that they bill for in addition to the ENM codes. So this is a very important update that I wanted to share with you all as soon as possible. We will obviously stay tuned for more updates, but this is something that I wanted to share with you immediately. Thank you, Jeannie. Now, without further ado, on this episode, highlighting critical ENM code updates, let's hand it back to Allison to talk us through some of the gray areas that have arisen as a result of the changes. Hello, my name is Allison Van Doren. I'm the Chief Nursing Officer here at Intellis, where our team of passionate professionals are elevating the business of healthcare. Now that we have all been using the new 2021 ENM guidelines for almost three months, I thought it would be interesting to hear some feedback and perspective on some of the new challenges as a result of the changes. We all know that only nine codes were affected by these changes, 99202 through 99215. But these nine codes make up a considerable percentage of all ENM codes. In fact, new and established patient office visits account for approximately a quarter of the total spending for physician services under CMS Medicare Part B, and approximately half of all of the ENM expenditures. They also have a similar impact when we're talking about commercial carrier payments. So today we have with us Jeannie Heck, our Director of Education at Intellis. She spent the majority of her career in the outpatient arena and has used the codes affected by these changes for over 25 years. Before we get into some of the challenges that you've seen, Jeannie, can you do a quick review of why the AMA decided to make these changes in the first place? Absolutely. So it's important to understand that the new changes weren't really designed to change coding practices. They were more designed to simplify coding and documentation. And I'm sure that a lot of you have heard of what we see called note bloat. And in fact, I have the January edition of the Medical Economics magazine. And right on the front cover, they have um, taught, they talk about what are things that really bother physicians? What's the biggest burden? And the biggest burden, according to this magazine, was paperwork. That the doctor's number one chief complaint is paperwork. And in fact, believe it or not, 86% described the administrative burden as high or extremely high. And a lot of that has to do with the EHR because it takes so much time to put all of the notes in and maybe then go order the tests or x-rays 
that they have to do after they've completed the progress note. So I know um, in the old days, you know, in the old paper days, providers actually saw more patients, but with the EHR, it really slows them down. I have to say I attended an AMA webinar not too long ago, and it was very interesting because one of the speakers was the physician who is co-chair of the RUC committee, and she was the one who was responsible for the E&M changes. And what she kept saying over and over, which I thought was very interesting, was to focus on the why. So she encouraged providers to focus on the why when you're documenting. Um, and then the other thing that I have to mention that is exciting and from my point of view is that the new E&M guidelines eliminated the two key components of history and exam. Only a medically appropriate history and exam is required. That's wonderful. That cuts down quite a bit. Yes, it really, really does. So now we have two different methods to choose from when selecting your level of service. And you can either code by total time, and the great thing about that is that it includes non-face-to-face -face time as long as it's on the same day of the patient visit. And the other one is medical decision-making. But it appears at the present time that most providers will use medical decision-making as it will benefit them more in most scenarios. And that's really what we've been hearing. Medical decision-making is clearly what the providers are using the most. And I know there are three elements in that MDM table. So Jeannie, would you mind giving us your thoughts on some of the biggest challenges or gray zones? Oh, sure. So interestingly enough, the element with the most gray at this point is that middle element, the second element which is called the amount and or complexity of data to be reviewed and analyzed. And the biggest confusion is around the ordering of tests or the review of tests or the ordering of and reviewing of independent interpretations. So the AMA webinar that I just referred to, they addressed this because on March the 9th, the AMA published what they called technical corrections to the new guidelines. So already. Already. <laughs> yes, exactly. Already things have changed. And honestly, I anticipate them to change again. And the only reason why I'm saying that is only based on my experience during the past 25 plus years in, in this whole scenario. So as of now, we don't what we call double dip. And the AMA made that really, really clear that if you are billing for, say, a rapid strep test in your office and you're getting reimbursed, if there's any kind of financial benefit, the bottom line is you do not count that towards any data element. But also, I have to remind everybody when I'm teaching or providing education, there's two other elements. So even though you might find that middle element confusing, in most situations, we can use the other two elements because only two out of the three need to be met or exceeded. And how about 
other data points in MDM. Have you seen other gray zones causing problems for coders and providers? So I would have to say the other gray zone, and this was also, we had this in the past too, is prescription drug management. And that's still, that's in the risk category. And that is still considered moderate, meaning that it's a level four. But the problem was with that is that some MACs were saying that you couldn't use prescription drug management, say, if the provider was just continuing a medication or renewing it. But since the 3-9 corrections from the AMA, um, they kind of had said that, hey, it is okay as long as your documentation makes it clear, like tell us the name of the medicine if you're refilling something for um, somebody's hypothyroidism, for example. Mm -hmm. The only thing that they really didn't like was say on a progress note, you have a medication list. You can't say medications are reviewed and have that count as um, prescription drug management. And I would say the only other thing that I would like to mention that is really interesting, and I don't think providers are taking advantage of it at this point, are what is known as the social determinants of health, and you'll hear them being referred to as SDOH. That's something brand new for 2021, and I know that in reading all the progress notes that I've read in the past, that there's many situations where the provider will say something like, oh, you know, this patient can't afford to have this CAT scan. And now, you know, with ICD-10, we have codes for practically everything. So there's these Z codes that have to do with social determinants of health. And my um, recommendation is to be sure that healthcare organizations really take a deeper dive into those SDOH codes because that could give you a moderate risk level by itself. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we, we talk about the coding really telling the story of the patient and the patient's visit. And now that we're engaged with applying all these Z codes, we'll really be able to tell the story a lot better too. I know we're barely into 2021 and, you know, this, these were all new changes for January 1. We've already seen updates in March. So any thoughts on what we may expect to change when we get to 2022? Well, I would say already based on those three, nine updates, you know, there's 22 new definitions in the 2021 CPT manual. But mm -hmm. now I, I can already say in 2022, there's going to be more than 22 because the March 9th AMA corrections added more, which is terrific. And then the word on the street, and this is still not confirmed, so I want to make sure everybody understands that. And it might not happen in 2022, but I think that the nine codes that are affected um, with the 2021 changes are new and established office visits. They're saying that depending upon how well this goes, that they may extend these changes to other categories of E&M codes, like maybe the emergency room visits or consults or inpatient visits, which would be great because right now we have to maintain two code sets. And that in itself presents a challenge. So I guess we'll wait and see what happens. 
Yeah, that seems like running off of two separate code sets is really not functional for moving forward. It seems like quite the burden to, to have. Jeannie, quick question for you as we start wrapping up. We've worked with institutions and spoken with different facilities um, about auditing to make sure that they're on the right track. Do you have any feedback for organizations about the value of really taking a deep dive and making sure the, the coding is done correctly? So interestingly enough, I have to refer to that AMA webinar again. And at the present time, it appears that most healthcare organizations haven't had any formal provider education. So I would just urge healthcare organizations to really get your providers educated. And then after that education has been presented, the only way to really determine whether their providers are paying attention to the new guidelines is to do an audit. And one of the other key takeaways is that they expect undercoding to occur because okay. the guidelines are different than before. So there is a, um, an, a learning curve, if I will, um, mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that everybody's up to speed with that. Great. Thank you so much, Jeannie. I want to thank Jeannie Heck for joining us today. If you still aren't up to speed on all the new ENM updates, I encourage you to visit our website. It's intellisiq.com. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-S-I-Q.com to find ways to listen to Jeannie's extraordinary recaps. Um, and to keep up with all of the hot topics that she addresses regarding all of these changes. If you're interested in joining us on a future podcast or have any ideas that you'd love to hear us discuss in a podcast, please send an email to info at intellisiq.com. Again, that's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-S-I-Q.com. Keep an eye on our website for upcoming offerings of free education, upcoming information and white papers. There's often a CEU attached to the education that we deliver for free to the industry. So thank you again, Jeannie, for joining us and thank you everyone for listening today. Thank you for joining us for IntelliCast. If you would like to learn more about our IQ suite of solutions, or if you have a topic you would like us to address, please visit our website and contact us at intellisiq.com.